Good morning to you. My name's Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church, and it's uh, such a joy to be able to uh, worship together uh, with you. And we are in a uh, study. Um, if you're a guest with us, we're in a study in the book of Joshua. Um, and this morning, as you heard uh, read for us, looking at specifically Joshua chapter 3 and 4. So we just began this series, uh, started just a couple weeks ago, working our way through the book of Joshua, so you're not too late to catch up. If you missed a couple weeks, you can do that. Uh, just go to our podcast, and uh, anywhere you find a podcast, you can find City Church Melissa, and you can catch up on uh, the first couple of weeks. Um, and as you heard Jake read for us from uh, chapter 3 and 4, sections of chapter 3 and 4, I know um, the anxiety your hearts right now. You're thinking two whole chapters. Um, we're going to be here a while. We've seen what he does with two verses sometimes. And so, but let me just uh, cast your fears aside. We will make it through uh, before the Cowboys kick. And um, no, we'll get you out of here right on time. Don't stress. Um, we're going to move uh, a little bit quickly through these two chapters, but we are looking at them together because they are so um, importantly tied together uh, in terms of the events that they tell us and the, the story that they recount for us. Um, if you haven't been with us, Joshua has been appointed by God to replace Moses as the leader of Israel. Um, this has happened outside of the promised land, and God promised his people that he would give them a land, and Moses led the people for a while. They were weren't faithful to believe in that promise, and so they weren't allowed to enter into the promised land. The generation had to pass before that could take place. And now Moses has died. Joshua has taken over as leader of the people of Israel, shepherd in a sense for them. And they have gotten to the place where they're about to cross over into the promised land, except for directly in their path of entering in the promised land is the River Jordan. And this is a great river. This is not, as we've said many times over the first few weeks, this isn't some little small place. Um, this is a major river. It is also at high tide because it's in the harvest season, and so the waters are overflowing the banks of the river. And if you come to the crossing of the river, they, you can imagine they find themselves wondering, how are we supposed to get across this? How are we going to enter into the land? Um, in the first couple of chapters, there hasn't been any preparations made. The only thing that God has said is, Joshua, you're going to lead them across. There's not been any preparations. They haven't built an, an ark. That was Noah. This is not that situation. They haven't even built any rafts or any other sort of thing that could lead them across. But Joshua trusted God. Joshua had remembered, as we saw in chapters 1 and 2, the promise that God had made to him. God had said, you will lead these people into the promised land. You're going to do that, and I will fulfill the promise that I made to you. And Joshua held on to that promise, and when God told him to be strong and courageous, it was out of a remembrance of the promise that he had made, not that he would just sort of create that or find that within himself, but it was an act of faith, believing in what God had said. Isaiah 50, the great prophet, he says this, we read, who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? He asks, who amongst us, who amongst the people of God is obedient? Here is one who is. Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. He says, Isaiah, the one who doesn't have any light, who only sees darkness in front of them and yet is obedient and walks and relies on what God has said, that's the one who trusts. 
Joshua could see, no, there was no reason for him to know how he was supposed to take the people into the promised land, but he believed in the promise of God. Sometimes we are eager and we desire, and it's a little bit easier when we want to say, God, you show us the way, and we kind of are looking for him to show us the way, and in some ways to make that easy. The door just to open for us, or this door to close for us, or this situation to just sort of work itself out, and then we kind of come out on the other end and we say, see, God was with us the whole time. And he was, and that's good. But what Isaiah says, and what we see here in Joshua is, sometimes nothing, there's no light. All that stands before us is darkness, uncertain circumstances, We don't know what's ahead of us, but what we can know and where we can exercise and demonstrate faith, and as Isaiah says, the one who fears the Lord and is obedient is the one that in the midst of the darkness, without anything telling us how we're supposed to cross, to move forward, to take a step forward, we just remain obedient, obedient to what God has put, and this is what we see Joshua doing, and ultimately Joshua's the bearer of, the recipient of, one of God's great miracles. This is what the people are doing as they come to the river. They are facing this challenge. So God says to the people, as you're about to cross over, as Jake read in beginning in verse 7, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel. This is what the Lord says to Joshua, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And then he gives Joshua some commands. Tell the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant to go out before you and to lead the people. And the people will follow behind the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, if you're not familiar with this, this is the, uh, the, 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 the thing, the item. The, the, some t- you might think of it as not just a piece of furniture, but it's this item, this Ark that was created by God's people and very clearly given, spelled out the dimension of exactly what should happen, and it housed the Ten Commandments. But it was symbolic of God's presence with his people. Just as God had been with Moses and the people and had sent the clouds of fire and the smoke to follow and to lead and gone out ahead of his people. Here, he says to Joshua, I'm going to give you the Ark of the Covenant and you send the priests out and have them carry it ahead of the people. And God's presence, God will go before them. The Lord, as he was leading his people, says that my presence will go out ahead of them. They will follow me. But ultimately, they can't just follow. They actually have to take some step of faith, a step of obedience. Verse 11 of chapter three. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man, and when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord and the uh, the, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing. God In his presence, the symbol of his presence, the Ark of the Covenant goes ahead of the people into the waters, the priests carrying that. And when they get to the the bank of the river, God gives them very clear instructions. They must step into the waters. And then, only then, after they step into the waters, will the water stop. And we will read ahead, they'll cross over on dry land. The Lord did go ahead of the people, but they also, the priests, had to step into the water, step into this raging river 
an act of obedience and trust, stepping into the darkness and just saying, this is, I know what God has called me to do because this is what he's promised me. If you're a believer today, if you call yourself a Christian, the reason you do that, the reason that's possible for you to do that is because God went first. He moved, his Holy Spirit moved in your life and revealed himself to you, opened your eyes to see his word, allowed someone, a friend, a pastor, someone to come into your life to tell you about who Jesus is and who God is and how he works. And then he calls you to respond. And you're responding to him as he has moved already ahead of you. And yes, you took a step of faith to trust in God, to trust in what is told of you, the story of Jesus. Here's the amazing thing as we think of this, what God has done in our own lives if you call yourself a Christian. We think of the story of crossing the river this giant river as something miraculous. And some of you might have even asked before yourself, why doesn't God do miracles anymore? Like we see he does miracles in the Old Testament. How come he's going to split rivers in half and people cross over rivers in dry land? Do you want to know that God does something even more powerful than that? He has done something more powerful than that, even in your own life. If you're a Christian today, you aren't just crossing over a river. You cross from death to life because of what Jesus has done. That's what he is doing. That's the miracle that he delivers and the miracle that he performs. But God moved first, and in response to God's movement, we take a step of faith, and he delivers us. He sets us free from sin and death. The quote that Pastor Kyle read, what God, what was deserved for us, for you and me, was laid on Christ, and we were the recipients of God's grace, and ultimately, receive something much more than just a river crossing, something much more powerful. Now, more than likely in a room this size with numbers this way or perhaps joining me online this, this morning, you may not be so sure about who God is. Perhaps you're not really clear if he's done anything in your life. Even perhaps gone so far as rejecting that God could be real or that there, he has any involvement in your life or could have anything for you. Here's the amazing thing. You too are the recipient of a miracle because in spite of all of your doubts, in spite of all of the cynicism, whether it's rightly placed or not, you're here. God brought you here for a purpose. Perhaps today to show himself to you, to reveal his great love for you so that you might step into the sort of metaphorical river of your life, trusting in God, trusting what you're hearing people say and declare about who Jesus is and what he has done, and be transferred from death to life. What an amazing thing, if that's you this morning, if God is moving in your heart and calling you to himself. That's what God does. God called the people to the river and he went out ahead of them and he called the priest to step in to the water as an act of obedience and trust. The people had to submit themselves to what God said to do. They had to follow God's way. Some of us wonder, how are we supposed to do various things? What are we, how are we supposed to engage in life? One of the first lessons that we need to learn as Christians especially, but just as human beings, that God is God and we're going to follow, we're going to be called to submit to doing things his way. He says, I'll go ahead of you, you follow me. And the people did that. The people then depended upon God to go ahead of them. 
They were relying upon him. But ultimately, finally, they did obey. And obedience is an act of faith. One of the amazing things about this story, as you think about this, and perhaps we look at applying it to our own lives, all the way back, generations past, God had promised this land would be a land for his people. He had set it apart. He said, I will take you in. I will create, number one, I will create a nation from you. I will give you a land to possess that will be your own land. I will, and he makes these promises to his people. God is now delivering on that promise as he leads Joshua and the people into this promised land. God makes promises, and when God makes a promise, the amazing thing is, is that he will always deliver on that promise. There's no river, if we are to, again, look at this river, while there is a physical, real river Jordan that the people truly cross to enter into the land, there's no river in our lives, no obstacle in the way of our lives that could prevent God from doing what he intends to do. God is sovereign over all these things, and if he makes a promise to us, then that promise will be fulfilled. You can, you can bank on that promise being fulfilled. There's no obstacle, there is no obstacle that could get in the way of God leading his people into this promised land. And how often we forget the promises that God has made to us. Do you want to know why the circumstances of our day become so big to us, so enormous? Yes, these things in our lives could be very painful, very hard, not diminishing in any way whatever brokenness you may be walking through right now or you may just have been headed out of or you may be heading into in a few days, weeks, months down the line. Whatever those things are, they're real. But when the circumstances of our lives so often they become so big to us and they overtake us because they cause us to lose sight and to forget the promises that God has made to us. God has promised through Christ that we will have everlasting life, eternity with him. God has promised that no matter what circumstances we face, that he is with us. That's what Jesus says. I am with you. We quote this scripture very often as we preach sermons, that if I go ahead of you, I go to prepare a place for you. That's what Jesus said. All of these things are the promises that Jesus made to us. I recounted many of them when we opened this book up in Joshua chapter 1. Promises from Scripture from that God has said. And do you know there is nothing that will prevent him from fulfilling those promises to you? There is no circumstance of your life that you could find yourself in right now that could change God doing what he is in call, a promise that he is going to do for you, which is that future. That is ours in Christ. But we forget. We need to remember there's no obstacle that could stand in the way of your deliverance. There's no sin, no sin in your past, no sin that you're walking in right now, no sin in the future. If your hope is in Christ, you put your faith in his finished work on the cross that could prevent him from fulfilling that promise. Because the work, what God is, is, is counting to justify us is what Jesus did, not what you and I do. 
And what Jesus did on the cross has already been done, and it was enough. That's what, G, what the Bible teaches us. And so there's no sin, there's no doubt, there's no past, present, or future that could prevent God from following through on the promises that he's made to us. So why do we get so consumed by the things of this world, by this life? Because those circumstances have way too high of a priority in our hearts and minds. The focus of our lives becomes so narrow that we forget We forget who God is, and we forget the promises that he's made to us. We would be wise to look at this text as we think about what God does and what it teaches us about how God moves in the world, how God operates, and remember that if God makes a promise, he will always fulfill it. Even crossing a giant river that looks immovable, bigger than that, leading us from death into everlasting life. That's what God does. In response to what God has done and what we read about in chapter three, then God tells in chapter four how the people are to respond, considering the miracle that God does. And let me begin reading in verse 14 from chapter three. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflowing all its banks throughout the time of harvest, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing downward, the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing the Jordan. We were considering this. If you're not a part of our men's and women's Bible studies, we're working our way through the book of Joshua and both of those studies, our morning studies. And guys, by the way, that's 6 a.m. on Tuesdays. I noticed a few of you overslept that uh, this past week, Um, but uh, we were marveling this last week because we're a little bit ahead of uh, where we're at here on Sunday mornings, just marveling at this idea that the Red Sea seems to get a lot of uh, play in our Christian minds and sort of uh, we think about the stories of God and that sort of thing, and the Red Sea is a very common one, and we kind of ask, why is the Jordan crossing not thought of in sort of equal circumstances, or why, why does it hold a higher position in our minds and in uh, the stories that we pass on from generation to generation? And I don't know exactly why that is, but one of the things that I think it teaches us sometimes is we think of miracles and the way God moves and we think of something in the past and we forget that he's continuing to do the same thing over and over and over again. Just like he had split the Red Sea and he said that he would exalt Joshua as he did with Moses, then he does that, they cross over the River Jordan and that same God is still at work in our lives today. Here's an amazing thing that we can see. Look back at verse uh, 7 of chapter 3. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Again, this is a promise that he makes to Joshua about how he's about to lead the people and and, and validate Joshua's leadership and care. Skip over to chapter 4, verse 14. On that day, 
The Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him, just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. In one day, God takes the people and says, I make this promise to you, Joshua, and I fulfill this promise. I made a promise to your forefathers a generation ago. I'm now going to fulfill that promise. And so in chapter 4, because of what God has done, he calls the people to remember In the same way, there was 12 men that were called apart to go ahead of the people of Israel here. It says in verse uh, chapter, uh, or excuse me, chapter four, verse one, when all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people from each tribe of man and command them saying, take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. God sends the people across the river. And this verse, this chapter four is sort of happening in uh, about the same time that chapter three. Sometimes when we read Old Testament narratives, I know, by the way, they seem a little confusing. They seem a little bit repetitive. We read about this in chapter three. Then we're going to read some more in chapter four. And there's some overlap of when this is happening. One of the things that happens in Old Testament narrative, just this is for, to help us all as we study our Bibles, is God tells something to Joshua. Joshua then tells that to the people, and then the people do what God said. And so it seems like we're telling the story over and over again. A lot of times that's the way God does, writes the, the, the scriptures that we have so that we see God speak, we see people respond to God, and then take action accordingly. And this is what we see happening in 3 and 4. And so he once again tells him to take 12 men, And this time, those 12 men are to go and gather up 12 stones in verse 2. This teaches us something about what God is doing in fulfilling his promise. God had promised that Israel would take possession of this land. And while there was some two and a half tribes of Israel that had been set apart and said, hey, you're going to stay over here on this side of the river, All 12 tribes are represented going into the promised land and taking these 12 stones because God's fulfilling the promise that he made. And every single one of the tribes, there'll be a representative. There was a man from each tribe and every single one would cross over into the river. Here's another really interesting thing. You might not have thought of this before, but as he gives instructions on what to do, God says, go and gather up these 12 stones. These aren't 12 little stones like the ones you see at the front of the sanctuary this morning. These are 12 large stones, 12 stones that were required to, that took them, they had to take them up on their shoulders, it says, to carry them across. And isn't it a beautiful thing that God provided the 12 stones in the middle of the river long before he ever sent Joshua and the people to cross it? God, before he ever even created Joshua, and gave life to him and created this nation of people, at some point, he placed these stones in the middle of this river to accomplish what he intended to accomplish as he called Joshua to do this. So often we wonder and we think to ourselves, how am I supposed to do this? How am I supposed to follow through on what God has told me to do? What what is that supposed to look like? And as we've said so often in this church before, if God calls us to something, If he gives us a command, if he tells us to do something, he always provides. He always provides. And so in the same way, just in setting up these 12 stones that would be a memorial, he provides the stones to be used by the people of God. 
In verse six through eight, this is where we see why God does this. Why does God tell the people to take up these stones and to go and place them on the other side of the river? It seems, again, kind of like a strange task. We're supposed to pick up some rocks as we're walking through the middle of the river and carry them across to the other side. I'm going to back up and begin in verse 5. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. So God tells his people to take these 12 stones as they're passing through on dry land and to carry them across to the other side primarily, at least at first, because he understands the fickleness of their own hearts. He's just done an amazing miracle, delivering them and leading them into fulfilling a promise that they had been told about from their childhood. Since they were young, they had been told, there's this promised land. God has promised that he's going to give us this land. And even in spite of knowing this truth, hearing this story over and over and over and over again, he understands That as soon as they cross over into this promised land, more than likely they're going to forget the very miracle that he used to answer their prayer to fulfill the promise he had made to them. The very thing that he had promised them to do and that they had heard of for generation, story after story after story, how quickly they would forget it. You want to know why we talk about Jesus all the time? You want to know why we say over and over and over again, we repeat ourselves talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, talking about what Jesus has done on our behalf, talking about the good news of the gospel, talking about what Jesus has set us free from, talking about the future that we have in Christ, talking about the hope that comes because of Jesus, talking about all the things that we have in our future through Christ, talking about the life that we can live today through Jesus. Do you want to know why we talk about Jesus over and over and over and over and over again? It's because we know, I know, that as soon as I take my eyes off Christ, I'm going to forget the fickleness of my heart, I'm going to get consumed by circumstances. Do you want to know why, as Christians, our witness in some way seems to have kind of shrunk back in this world as we're consumed with all of the same things that everyone else in the world is consumed by is because we've forgotten who we have on our side, which is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And if we would remember that and tell ourselves that over and over and over again, maybe we might make it through one more day without getting consumed by the circumstances around us. Our hearts are fickle. God knew that about his people. He knows that about you and me. And so he gives us, he gave them these 12 stones as a memorial to remind them every time you pass by these stones, I want you to remember what I have done. God doesn't want you to come to church because he wants to hang it over your head when you sleep in, friends. God wants you to come to church because he wants to remind you of what Jesus has done over and over and over again because he understands full well what you're going to face on Monday. He knows today what's happening tomorrow. 
And he wants you to remember who he is. He wants you to remember his love for you. He wants you to remember all the things that he's done. He wants you to remember that you have been transferred from death to life. And that is a miracle. That is the miracle of all miracles. Because I and you together do not deserve that. We know that that is true because, again, tomorrow morning, perhaps if you're like me, by 3 o'clock this afternoon, you'll figure out why you need Jesus. (laughs) It's just the way things are. Our brokenness, our sin takes hold of our hearts and we forget. There's another thing that God says. This is to the people of Israel in verse 7. Then you shall, excuse me, at the end he says, so this shall be a memorial forever. But backing up, what did, who does he say to pass this on to? When your children ask in time to come, verse six, when your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them. You shall pass this on to the next generation. Chapter four is broken up in two halves. 1 through 14 is essentially speaking kind of uh, God telling Joshua and the people of God responding to what God has done in the, as the people of Israel. Picking up in 15 and moving on, this is how what God does as he leads people over the River Jordan and he fulfills the promise that he made to them, the impact that it has on all the other people that are watching. And look what it says as we end chapter 4. And pick up verse 5. It's a repeat of the story. I'm going to pick up in verse 20. And those 12 stones, which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall let the children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over. As the Lord your God did to the Red Sea which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord God is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Chapter five, verse one. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites, that's one of the names that Jake read for us back from chapter three, who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. God says, set up these stones and pass them on to the next generation and tell them of the miracles that I have done. That's what happens within his people And as he does this miracle, as he delivers upon his promise, all the peoples of the earth see what God has done and their hearts melt. Do all the peoples of the earth see the hand of God at work in our lives and know the stories of the miracles that he has delivered in our lives, transferring us from death to life so that as they hear of the God, the God that we worship and they hear about Jesus, that their hearts begin to melt before them because they see he truly is the God that he says he is? That's a worthwhile question for us to ask. This is why we tell stories. This is why we share the hope of Christ. This is why we talk about him over and over again, again, so that others might hear what God has done 
And in the same circumstances, as they're dealing with the circumstances that you're dealing with right now, and they see you being led through it with hope and with not, not always joy, not always happiness, but looking to God and trusting him and being able to take a step of obedience, they look at your life and they say, I don't know what he or she's got going on, but I don't deal with things that way. Maybe I need to look into this God that she worships. Maybe I need to think about who Jesus is. This is, again, why he gave us this memorial. He gave them the memorial so they would talk about and share the stories of God. Galatians 2, verse 20 says this. This is our testimony, friends. If you're a Christian in the room, this is you and I, our testimony. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's him. I live for his glory. Everything I do in my flesh, I am called to do for him. And I do it by faith in what he has said and what he has done, not under my own strength. This is the testimony that I have. This is your testimony. And we need to remember that testimony. We need to be a people who don't so quickly forget. So we're going to sing in response as we do each week. We're going to sing a song about the faithfulness of God, the love of God. And you may have been wondering to yourself why these tables are filled with a pile of rocks, just like this one. As the worship team leads us and we respond to God, I'm going to invite one from every household to come and take one of these stones from the table. These aren't some sort of different kind of communion elements. I know we've been tricking it up a little bit every month. We get something new around here. But no, I want to invite, again, one from every household to come and take one of these stones. I want you to consider as you take this stone home, I don't want this to end up in your rock garden. I want you to take this stone home with you. And I want you to tell the stories of God's faithfulness in your life. Mothers and fathers, grandmothers and grandfathers, aunts and uncles, anyone, if you have somebody that's younger than you in your life that you're connected with, I want you to tell them the story of what God has done. Pass that story on to the generation coming behind you. I want you to tell your friends and your neighbors or your coworkers the story of God's faithfulness to you. And maybe set this rock up somewhere in a peculiar place in your home or on your desk in your workplace or just somewhere. And as you pass by it, let it be a reminder of the miracle that God has delivered in your life, transferring you from the kingdom of darkness into his everlasting light. And as your friends, family, coworkers pass by it and they ask, why do you have that rock on your desk? Why is that rock on the altar? Why is that rock sitting next to that beautiful family photo. Let that be an opportunity to share the stories of what God has done. Maybe you remember the day that God redeemed your life and you were saved and you could could take a Sharpie out and write that date. Every family member can write their date on their rock or you can tell a story of some other event in your life that God has led you through and you can remember God's faithfulness. I don't care what you do with it. What I want it to be a reminder for us all as we take these home is a reminder of God's faithfulness to us. And let it be an opportunity to share those stories with one another and with others that might come in our midst. 
I'm going to pray. And then you can just meditate even before you come and take a rock or you can take it with you. And again, it's just a rock. Don't let it end up in windows. That's all I ask. But let it be a symbol of God's faithfulness, an opportunity to tell stories of what God has done. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for your faithfulness in my life. I thank you for what you have done, the miracle of transforming, transferring me from the kingdom of darkness into your light, everlasting life with you, Jesus. I pray that you would help us to be a people who share the story of your faithfulness, share the stories of your love and your grace and your mercy with those around us, everyone we might encounter, beginning in our own families and then going outward from there. Lord, I pray perhaps someone might write today's date, October 17th on this calendar because today is the day of salvation for them where through your sovereign hand, the Holy Spirit of God has moved on their heart and called them to place their faith in you, to just take a step of faith into the darkness to get their feet wet and trust you. I pray that you would show them your unbelievable love, your grace and your mercy. And help those of us who are called sons and daughters of the Most High God to never forget the abundance of your love for us. What what a miracle we have been the recipients of. Help us to remember. And help us to keep our eyes on you. We pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.